0: On today's episode, we watched...
1: 1984's
0: 1984. Uh, hey, um, so, as we all know, Devin is has, has been vaporized he's not well shit he's been
1: unpersoned
0: i don't think i was supposed to say that I, i'm supposed to say there was never a Devin. Right? oh yeah exactly and and john you've always been here <laughs>
1: i've always been here <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh devon being busy and a little under the weather is out for now which is partly why we haven't recorded in a long time and we've got a uh, a ringer here um who's <laughs> <laughs> who's a professional podcaster uh, that's John.
1: Yeah. Hi, how's it going guys? I'm an avid reader. I travel a lot for school and stuff. So I listen to a lot of, uh, books on tape and stuff like Audacity, uh, uh, Audible or other. Uh, and in my free time, I watch a lot of movies and play a lot of video games. So I'm just, I'm deep in the, uh, millennial media culture. <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't uh, read as much as I'd
0: like to. So it's great to have somebody with um that background on the show so we watched 1984 we did not read the book although uh it seems to be a pretty damn good
1: yeah i actually did read the book
0: oh did you well i mean i read it back in junior high school which might have been pretty young yeah for 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 that book it's it's a
1: little hard to understand like the nuances and the gravity of uh of the work i actually uh, just read it um last semester
0: oh wow okay so very recently yeah
1: i i read it uh, for fun uh on my way to and from school gotcha
0: Okay, that's awesome. Whereas uh, the last time I read it uh, was the Clinton administration, so it's been a bit. Yeah. Orwell's seminal piece um, turned out pretty good. I thought that it was a, a, good, a good movie. I enjoyed reading it. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about um, about the film itself. Okay. So we specifically watched a the 1984 release of the movie 1984, uh, right?
1: Yeah, starring the war doctor, John Hurt.
0: I think that he, the late great John Hurt, he might be one of the best British actors I've ever seen. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean there's a there's a lot of them. there's a lot of good ones yeah. but uh, yeah that's true but like he's no on, Ricky L-boy. Gervais <laughs>
0: fuck you <laughs> but like come on he was a uh, he was in the field Indiana Jones yeah. uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy
1: yeah also can, think- can we just mention really quick that the music for this movie was done by uh, 80s like synth pop band Eurythmics? so i was about to
0: talk about how he was the first guy to die to an alien and alien but i had no idea about that
1: yeah you know uh, sweet dreams are made of these i think that's like the their number yeah. 1 like most popular hit i did
0: no- yeah, you know i did notice there was quite a bit of um uh, quite a bit of of like synthy music more than i expected because yeah. this it starts off with just orchestral sto- uh orchestral score stuff
1: yeah that that surprised me when i saw that in the credits and i had to look that up just to make sure i wasn't like <laughs> messed up or yeah.
0: something very very own life compared to the orchestral music that i was expecting
1: yeah yeah. And 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 that would have been like the more, you know, back when this book was written, obviously that that sort of music didn't even exist. So it's
0: very true. Uh, yeah. Um so uh, did you see any interesting things about the the production of the film?
1: Um, you know, uh, obviously if you want to take it from like a and i'm going to go back to our uh, freshman film class on this one <laughs> the uh the the mise-en-scène of uh of, of how the uh the story and how the uh the production was you know all the colors are very washed out it's a very right. it's a very bleak looking film which Absolutely. makes sense because it's a bleak work you know it's very true
0: My, yeah i i agree with you 100% um one of the reasons i thought that was interesting just before we get into it is the uh, production was actually in, in some of the same places as the movie Brazil. Have you ever seen that one? No, I haven't. Oh, you're missing out. I think you'd like it a lot. It's a Terry Gilliam film, which is like a... Uh, it's like a, it's almost like a parody, like a, a right. comedy version of 1984. Okay, okay. Yeah. And um, it was... Uh, they shared a number of the same sets uh, and locations, and I think that the result is that they chose all the grimiest, most <laughs> gross-ass parts of London they could find, right. the most dystopian parts of London, and right. it worked.
1: Right. Well, with Brexit coming up, that's basically you could you can <laughs> film anywhere at this point.
0: It's all of yeah, all of London is is mostly pneumatic tubes now. <laughs> <laughs> uh they they get a great job with the production design, obviously. I think it actually might have won a BAFTA for that.
1: Wow. Oh. Yeah.
0: I'm... Uh yeah, they have like a bunch of shit in the London tube and it looks awesomely gross. It's just it's just really well made.
1: Yeah. Definitely. I, definitely I know.
0: Agree. I know that uh they were trying to get the movie made because they had made a, a movie in like the fifties, but right. they they had to find some random lawyer who had bought the rights to it because the rights were super cheap in like the the fifth like the late fifties early sixties.
1: I did not know that. So the film yeah. rights specifically,
0: specifically the film rights, okay. yeah. And it was just like a mystery. They were just trying to f- like the director is an art house. He was like an art filmmaker, and he was trying to find the rights, and he just happened to find out that they were owned by some ra- again some random lawyer like living in America who just thought it would be fun to own the rights to make a movie about it someday.
1: Yeah. I and mean it, I that's like why I-, I buy all my media property rights.
0: <laughs> yeah, just to have them in the pocket. Yeah. For example, I I actually own the rights to The Next The Thing movie.
1: Nice. I I'm yeah. s- I'm sitting on the um uh Never Ending Story uh, nameless princess biopic.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um do you know what you're going to call it?
1: Uh no, it doesn't have a name yet specifically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also, um, according to Wikipedia, by the way, they were planning on making them the movie uh, black and white specifically, but they they thought that would be stupid the 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 production company, so they ended up using some interesting techniques that don't show up a lot because it was shot on film, um, to to make it all look pre-wash out rather than be doing it in post. Interesting. Yeah, it's the cost is higher, but it lets you um, keep all the detail without ever washing any of that out. So it looks really. That's right. it, part of the reason I think it looks so desaturated.
1: Yeah. You, so you, so what you're saying is it's not it's not like a filter that they put on it. It's like that's like the, the actual film.
0: Right. They 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 like bleach the film or something like kind of technical.
1: Right. Something that's above what I know anything about. <laughs> yeah. But,
0: already. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But that was. I think it looked really cool because of it.
1: That's cool. That's cool um so briefly
0: let's talk about the context of the of the work 1984 like that orwell like orwell briefly like uh you know born upper middle class right um you know he his father i think he worked for the opium trade in 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 china uh and after he moved back to britain he sort of became hardcore like democratic socialist and anti-capitalist anti-communist yeah,
1: yeah. so that's that's one thing that a lot of people uh I think when, if they haven't read the book, um, they get the sense that um, 1984 uh, might be, like, a critique on, like, a, a communism or right. uh, socialism. Absolutely. And uh, people people like to use the words Orwellian when people talk about, like, newspeak, I think, is, like, the uh, the biggest right. part of it is So people like to claim things are newspeak when they really aren't.
0: Right, absolutely. Yeah. And uh I think that's just how influential the book's been. I mean, he only wrote two major novels, but he Orwell was a was a um a literary writer and he did a lot of essays. Yeah. And uh aside from his obvious other work Animal Farm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so these are his two big novels, but he actually wrote a lot of smaller uh, and not smaller as in like less important, but smaller as in like literal like um less verbose works.
0: Absolutely. He uh he ha- I think he I believe he adopted a child, but um I'm not sure what happened to it. They might still be alive. Either way, I know that he uh uh very much affected by the by World War II. He was a little older then, but he had already served in the war. He was part of the uh the volunteers who fought in uh in Spain during the Spanish Civil War. Wow. So he had a lot of first-hand experience with um with war especially as opposed to Hemingway who was just a chotch and he just sort of sat in the back lines. You <laughs> can screw Hemingway, he's a piece right. of garbage.
1: So um let's I think maybe for people who haven't read uh 1984 maybe just uh talk a little bit about like when the when the book actually first came out because yeah. Um
0: yeah, we'll, we'll talk about more of, the, of that at the end but I think oh, okay. that it's important to know that the context, yeah of, yeah, of what he was writing. Yeah. Uh in in the late 40s after post post world uh, you know. war two and stuff yeah absolutely
1: um I, it's um uh, authoritarianism uh which was uh obviously nazi regime that is hugely like fascist uh bigly fascist uh some might say <laughs> uh regime and then so we have a novel here that is uh well what if basically our entire life was fascist what if what if our it, all we knew and all that uh, we grew up in was a fascist uh, state. Right. He'd already written
0: a pretty scathing um, argument about revolutions uh, with Animal Farm. Mm-hmm. And now, looking at uh, the USSR as well as looking at uh, post-war Britain, I think that he was able to to put his views into the dangers of totalitarianism into a into narrative form more than just essay form. Yeah. Uh uh, it's like a cautionary tale about revolution, um, in the same way that Animal Farm was, but it has a little bit more. Um, I don't know if science fiction is the right element, but it certainly yeah. has uh, an amount of of speculative fiction that Animal Farm didn't. Like, like Brave New World was a '30s novel, and and um, what was it called? And We was like a '20s novel, mm-hmm. and I feel like the, that this one has a lot more influence from those. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's I think it's really interesting that you. Uh, say that it's not really science fiction because it's, I mean, it is, and it isn't right. Because you have your elements of like futurism and stuff like that with like the, the screens and stuff and stuff like that. But really, honestly, it's not that And maybe we're looking at this from like a 21st century perspective, but, uh, well, I think we are. And we'll right, talk about right, that. Right. Yeah. Right. But it, it, but it isn't that futuristic. If you really think about it,
0: this is true. Um, this is very true. Speaking of future, uh, he was written wrote this in. I believe the original novel was. Sorry, I'm just trying to find the date. Uh, novel was 49. Yeah, 35 years in the future. Cool. That 35 years always struck me as interesting. But one of the things that differentiates the book, and let's pivot to the movie, is that the movie was sort of a, a look at totalitarianism from a from a, I guess, an introspective uh way whereas that one was very much a, a look at it from someone who had um not experienced it in the same way but had lived through an era where it was powerful and in that way he's writing it as a speculative work whereas for right. us this is an this is an alternate history right
1: right yeah absolutely uh i think we've all seen those uh what if comics and whatnot are it's like well what if uh uh, Superman landed in uh, Nazi Germany and fought on the side of Hitler, and then
0: oh, you ever read Red Sun? That uh, was so yeah. good. Yeah, I have. So good. It's really good. Um, so uh, just moving on. Like, let's move on to a little plot summary first. Okay. So there's not that much to it. I mean, it follows the it follows the the book pretty closely. Um,
1: yeah, obviously, with with what it can, because there's obviously a lot that gets cut out due to right. the interest of time, obviously. Right. Winston
0: um, Smith, played by John Hurt, the yep. incredibly good John Hurt. Yes. Um I'm still hurt that he passed away. He's, um, no he's like a middle, Yeah. He he's like a middle class outer party member, right?
1: Yeah. So yeah. So um just for a little bit of context, there's basically uh the class system in nineteen eighty four is a little bit stratified. Uh there's the um the proletariat, who's uh basically the, the, the proles and they're the uh lowest class uh members, and then there's the middle class, which is called the outer party. Uh, that's where John Hurt. Uh, that's that's where his character is, and then they're like the workers, like the government workers, Mm -hmm. and then we have the elite, which is the inner party, and they're like you know they keep the the middle class oppressed.
0: We open with the the two minute hate where they're yelling at uh, was it not O'Brien Goldstein right Yeah. Yep. 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 They're, They're yelling at Goldstein. Uh, played by oh shit, who is that? Um. Here's. You know what? I'm going to again cut that out cuz I don't want us to look like idiots. Uh Goldstein played by John Boswell. Yep. Um you might best know him for playing the bad guy in Pirates of the Caribbean 1.
1: I've actually never seen that film.
0: Oh. Well, um <laughs> <laughs> either way, um played by John Boswell who is just a talking head on a telescreen. Yep. May or may not exist.
1: Yep. Uh and, and yeah, just like Big Brother might not exist. Um right. they touch on that a little bit later, but uh
0: and uh, he's they, 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 we get a really nice shot and a very disturbing shot of a bunch of guys in City Seventeen all wearing blue overalls talking about how looking at Neil Breen's face
1: picking up cans
0: or not not Neil Breen yeah picking up cans and uh, we get like a nice montage of his of his life <laughs> Neil Breen <laughs> not Neil Breen sorry <laughs> Doctor God Neil Breen is Doctor Breen <laughs> holy shit if only
1: <laughs> yeah we'll we'll be doing that podcast next yeah <laughs> oh so good. Um,
0: but uh yeah they 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 walk around half- life two for a while it's yeah. really dirty he's got a bad cough
1: mm-hmm. yeah so um uh yeah so Winston Smith is pretty tra- Winston is like uh, an old sick guy uh he, he I, I it wasn't in the movie it was in the novel
0: but i loved the novel how it describes like one of the few things he likes doing is scratching this one itch he has or something yeah like basically it's like
1: <laughs> an basically an open wound <laughs> uh, it's so gross <laughs> but um, and I,
0: I and i guess they replicate that grossness by just giving him a real a real raspy cough the entire movie right
1: right um but yeah so uh uh he works for the uh ministry of truth mm-hmm. um and so his job is to uh, take old uh newspaper clippings and stuff, and rewrite them to fit the new reality, uh, of the government. So say, um, the big one is classic liberal government busy work. Right. No one's
0: reading newspapers. It's right. just f- forget all the truth rewriting. I mean, this is just Keynesian makeup work, like like those idiots in the nineteen thirties, right. the New Deal. Am I right, John? Yeah,
1: it's like a public works program.
0: <laughs> I'm I that would be an interesting lens to interpret that through.
1: 1984 and Keynesian uh, philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I read that paper. It seems it's com- <laughs> 69 pages long.
0: <laughs> nice. But yeah, it just seems like a, a totally pointless job even within the world of um uh, of like of the, 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 the dystopian world of 1984. It just seems so pointless. Yeah. Uh
1: I I kind of take it as like them covering their ass from like a uh right, you know, people just uh there's no way that people can uh well they even say it they the uh those who control the past control the future those who control right. the present control the past right so uh yeah it's 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 really just a matter mm-hmm. of making sure that nobody can ever dispute them right right yeah and so uh, except
0: the one thing he can dispute is he got he's got that little leather bound book of his own private thoughts
1: exactly so um uh, Wilson.
0: Winston Smith. Winston, I'm
1: so sorry. I'm so bad at names to be completely honest. Uh You can say
0: John Hurt if you want if that yeah, helps you.
1: Yeah, John Hurt. If you want to call him Kane from Alien? That yeah. that might work. So, Winston is um a thought criminal. And a thought criminal is anybody who uh deviates from like the uh the the preordained thoughts of uh uh Ingsoc, which is the uh the uh government of uh Oceania, Oceania where they live. Mm-hmm. Uh, the english socialist party is yeah. uh is is in complete control uh
0: they've got all the stuff that i mean you probably aware uh, of nineteen eighty four you've seen all this shit they've got telescreens they've got constant announcements about production numbers right. um right. they've got uh mandatory exercise all these programs et cetera the two minute hate I mean we could go on but you you probably already know all this
1: right so um it's it's uh Winston's job to um make sure so, that
0: that I, I already said that I already said that
1: okay sorry.
0: Yeah, it's okay. Go go on let's let skip to the romance part.
1: Uh, okay. So um uh throughout the film, the the beginning of the film, uh a uh young lady keeps looking at Winston and uh eventually they meet and she passes him a note surreptitiously that just simply says, I love you and a place for them to meet. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: she that's Susanna Hamilton playing Julia. Yeah,
1: very beautiful, very, very beautiful woman. Um and so it kind of contrasts with uh, Winston, who's, like, old, and she's very young and beautiful. Yep, she's 20 years younger than him, and, and I'm sure George Orwell was, or
0: whatever his real name was, was smacking his lips as he wrote that. He's so into it.
1: <laughs> um,
0: I mean, he passed away in like the, the month after Nintendo 4 came out. I, I doubt that he he was he had young, less givious women on his mind. I right. think he had like tuberculosis or something. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was too busy with consumption.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, he and Julia go out to the countryside. Um, you, uh, and Winston Smith has been buying small stuff from... This one pawn shop, and uh, eventually he goes out to the countryside, and uh, they, they, they have outdoor sex. It's pretty graphic. It's really gross.
1: Yeah. Um. So, yeah, you see a lot of Julia. You don't see as much of John Hurt. Um, nope.
0: It's ver- it's a very
1: British movie. It's sexist, in my opinion. You know, if, if we're going to see uh, all of Julia, I want to see John Hurt hanging dong, dude. It's true. I, I I honestly agree one hundred
0: percent. They're sort of showing off the beauty and disgustingness of the human body. What's wrong with John Hurt's body? Yeah. Come on. The, the 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 guy was in snowpiercer. I I deserve to see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I want to see noted actor John Academy Hertz. Award winner. Yeah. Ba- Multi bapta winner. I want to see his dick.
0: I I think we all do. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Uh, s- so after that he starts off a long-term relationship with them and I think mm-hmm. he he goes to like a pawn shop to get that, right? Uh,
1: th- that's kind of the feeling I got for it. So um uh he rents a room above this uh small shop um where he also bought like basically this like bobble, this like little um paperweight, yeah, you know, basically yeah. it doesn't have any value. And so something that doesn't have value inside uh In-Soc, is worthless and so appreciating something that's worthless is thought crime right and oh, so it just yeah kinda, great call yeah it just kind of goes to show like where where his uh so he's already keeping a journal which is thought crime uh mm-hmm. he has um like this secret uh uh apartment above the pawn shop um mm-hmm. so this is it's just lay layering the fact that uh uh winston is basically antithetical to what ingsock is
0: he eventually makes contact with a guy named O'Brien, mm-hmm. who is uh, an inner party yeah, member. Yep. Uh, under pretense of giving him the new Newspeak Dictionary, he goes to his house. It does not look that nice. He gets a new... Um, he gets the book, the the mythical book written by Goldstein, mm-hmm. uh, which is supposedly going to tell you all about the resistance yep. movement. And he and Julia read it for a while until...
1: Yeah, until um, it turns out that uh, the uh, the owner of the apartment is uh working with Big Brother um and uh they are immediately surrounded by a bunch of thought police. Um they it, get taken to the Ministry of Loved yeah. and uh tortured for a very long time. Yeah. And um that's that's one of the I think the most interesting scenes in uh in there in the movie. It's like twenty percent of the movie. It's a lot. It, yeah, it really is. So um it's it's really hard to describe, but basically, it's. Um, well, I mean,
0: O'Brien, O'Brien's trying to break him down, right? O'Brien yeah. explains to him that um, that uh, that uh, the whole point of of this resistance movement is to catch is to catch thought criminals mm-hmm. uh, who are engaged in their own life, as opposed to it being any sort of real resistance movement. It's it's all a big false flag.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, anybody who would fall into the trap of the resistance uh, would be. Um, would want to uh, fi- seek it out, and anybody who seeks it out is is uh, snatched up pretty quick. Um, they uh, sorry. Go he, ahead.
0: Demands th- he demands th- that he demands ex- that he he demands that he like subscribe to double think, mm-hmm. which is where you assume two things that uh, can't be true uh, are both correct. You know, like right. um, uh, you know, like uh, the th- two plus two plus equals five thing, right? He's right. trying to convince him something that he knows is not true right. is true because it's it's sort of like saying uh. You have no internal or external life. It is purely right. based around what is demanded of you.
1: Yeah. What, what Big Brother says uh, is true is true because yeah. Big Brother said it. So uh, uh, O'Brien even says stuff like if I, if I say that I floated off the ground and you say that I floated off the ground, then for all intents and purposes, I floated off the ground. And gravity is not a law that exists because the only law that matters is the law of Big Brother.
0: It's great. It's a great scene. O'Brien's actor has such an intimidating but attractive face. It's just so it's just so yeah. believable.
1: Yeah, and and so uh, that kind of goes into like how charismatic. Like you kind of fall into it because it's like, oh, this this guy he's he's subversive just like I am. But really, he's just. Uh...
0: Yeah, it was way better. It was way more effective to me at least than reading it in the book. Like yeah. reading it as a kid, I, you know, you don't totally grasp the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching the 1984 flick was was really interesting because they they get. They, they get these visuals, and they're so gloomy and grim, but they're also, uh, you know, all these actors are so powerful. They're all turning it up a little bit past 10, yeah. bringing out that theater acting, and it looks great. It's just so, it's so perfect.
1: Yeah. It's, it's it's honestly one of the best acted movies I've seen in a long time.
0: Yeah. When they finally break him, his, his, his famous thing is he says, do it to Julia instead, so uh-huh. he's uh, completely purge the rebellious thoughts and more importantly, personal attachments, and they uh, and they release him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the at the very end, uh, you see um, Winston and Julia meet in like a, a I, I want to say coffee shop, but it really it's closer to like a gin shop. <laughs> uh, gin is one of like the the standard the standard issue drinks that they give to all inner party yeah, members. Yeah, the, the, the victory gin. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, you see the two meet in like a gin shop, and then, um, but the, 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 the romance isn't there anymore. It's, they seem kind of robotic, obviously, because they've been broken. And the film ends with a, and presumably an obvious lie about a major war victory. Then she, uh, she
0: leaves. He sees himself on the TV, like you said. Um, and uh, he looks at the image of Big Brother on the telescreen. He starts cr- tearing up, and uh, we cut to credits.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a, honestly, just a great movie.
0: So, uh, let's talk about what they got wrong first, John. I, I am impressed, but also kind of let down by the Orwell vision of the future. Yeah. On the one hand, he's got this excellent discussion and image- imagining of, like, the political situation. Uh, sort of like old-, old seventeen and 1800s books, they would really very rarely predict technological advancement. Like, have you- are you familiar with Candide? No. Candide is uh, another of these speculative fiction books, but a lot of these never really imagined that the world would look much different technologically, right. maybe farming would be a little easier, but all of them were all about imagining unique societies right and orwell uh, Orwell's piece really draws on that it does uh it doesn't surprise me, but it is interesting because there had been so many excellent science fiction books uh, that had already come out that sort of predicted a rise in technology as well as societies but you know whatever
1: right. yeah like uh yeah I, I, we could name a few, but yeah.
0: I'm sure if this came out in 2019, there would be a big focus on the way that uh, technology influenced it. But instead, we get this diesel punk 1940s vision of the future.
1: Yeah, and and there is uh, certain depictions of technology, uh, but it's more made to uh, make uh, the government seem ubiquitous. Um, right. You know, your screens, which you uh, cannot turn off, um, it's illegal to turn them off, uh, and so you can always see the screen, and the screen can always see you. Right. The
0: telescreen um, and, is the, perhaps uh, the most obvious obvious both, invention, right? The,
1: so they're, they're constantly monitoring you and making sure you're doing what you need to be doing.
0: Right. The telescreen is an invention that did not exist in World War II, obviously. It did not exist in the 40s, although uh, mechanical te- uh, television broadcasts did exist. I don't believe that the, te- the television was very common. Uh, I think that the 1937 was the first time that the general public could even watch um, a, a big event on the television screen, right? When... Um, Uh, for example, for the annual uh, laying of the reef. Right. uh, uh, And and certainly the idea that uh, all of these middle-class homes would always have them was pretty unique.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and I think what uh, and and I also think that the the television is huge and it's a flat screen. Did you y- notice that? Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's that's the one thing is, um, it, they got it right. They were just a few years too early. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like I, I kept on thinking to myself that TV is fucking big. And also, like, oh, you know, the, the aspect ratio on that's pretty bad because it's like, uh, I, I don't know if you have the movie up. It's like a curve. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a four to three ratio or or a sixteen by nine. It's like an oval shape.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Innerositter from, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, from MST3K, yeah, in the Silent Earth.
0: Yeah, uh, I was curious what what what. Uh, this is just here, neither here nor there. Uh, what in universe it was supposed to be? Because it's not a CRT, obviously.
1: Right. So, yeah, it, I kind of like imagined it as almost a projection. It's not a projection. Uh, they don't they don't ever play it up to be a projection. But that's kind of like the 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 thought of it that I got,
0: oh yeah, that's a good call, that's a good call. You can't see a camera, yeah, um, yeah, but it does seem somehow seem seem to be able to sense the the viewer inside it and not like in a three sixty thing, so I don't think there's a camera in the room
1: yeah yeah i I just imagined it being built into the the television itself somehow
0: yeah, I don't know it was it was interesting though yeah uh so winston is he's a he's the copy editor for the. I thi- for the for the London Times newspaper, he's yeah. the rectifier. Yep. Uh, does he have a computer? What was that thing in, in his office?
1: So um, basically, he has a a, a telephone. Um, that's a a rotor dial, right? Uh, yeah. Is that what you call it? I forget.
0: A ro- no, a rotary phone. Yeah.
1: Ro- a rotary phone. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for.
0: Oh, he's uh, got the Speak Right thing, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. So he has he has a rotary phone, and that's how he imp- inputs numbers. Uh, and calls up certain uh like newspapers and stuff. And then he Does he have a
0: does he have a keyboard?
1: No, not even. So um he just has the rotary dial and then he has the uh um like you said, the microphone that he'll speak the correction into. Uh
0: yeah.
1: and then he has a pneumatic tube and that's it. And, uh, oh and so- a burn and a burn uh, memory hole is what they call it.
0: Oh my god! I I I I I know it's not a comedy movie by any means, but I was just started laughing once I saw that there's just a tiny furnace inside his office that like he's just got this little fire area, right? And it doesn't appear to be like on and off. He just opens the hatch and there is a bunch of fire just spewing out of it.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's just like a little tiny oven that's just on your desk. <laughs>
0: I thought that was great. Like like the party obviously wastes intentionally wastes all these resources, but I wonder if anyone's ever like, "Oh, you know, uh I don't know if I'm going to go home because there's an actual fire in my office right now and it's nice and cozy."
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, some just get some uh some victory cocoa and uh
0: <laughs> Uh I I uh I'm under the impression that machine learning and linguistics had not gotten to the point that Regular speech recognition was possible, especially not in the eighties. Uh, famously, H. Bomber guy did a video about the um, the Halcyon console, and its speech recognition was garbage.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: the speech recognition in the eighties had seen, you know, DARPA investment and uh, lots of Soviet uh, investment and everything. You know, there it had certainly happened. But uh, I, I was in the I believe that I saw that the biggest thing was a was a twenty thousand word vocabulary. You're right. Uh, but. It, uh those words oftentimes required you to be saying them in a specific way we hadn't seen the idea of um uh, of of recording individual phonemes or sounds uh to translate those into written words so uh certainly he predicted that
1: Siri would be way better than it is even in 2019 <laughs> right uh, you know if you have an accent you're you're still fucked today so <laughs> yeah uh, um but my impression was that he was speaking to somebody else uh, oh, that would make a lot more sense. Th- th- I mean, it, they don't actually even touch on it at all, so that's just speculation. But yeah, that's honestly my my initial thought was just that he's speaking to somebody else, kind of like a a two-step process, so nobody has like a full picture of the uh of what is being changed and what's going on. That's a really that's a really good call. That's probably it.
0: Because I I was just thinking like uh yeah, that makes a lot more sense. He's also got um I I just had a hold up here, but appears to be a filing cabinet that's like sixteen feet tall.
1: Yeah, yeah, that uh, thing is
0: crazy. There's no files in it. Also,
1: uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me of those old computers that took up uh, a <laughs> right, took up entire rooms.
0: So there's a couple mentions of other technology. They mentioned the floating fortress. Uh, Do they elaborate on what it is in, in the book? Uh,
1: I'm. Tr- it's like a. It's it's like a, a war machine, right? Like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I I'm I'm having trouble remembering it. So if they mm-hmm. if they did touch on it, it probably wasn't um super important, you know, because um in the book they have a bunch of uh people like basically just saying like, hey, isn't Big Brother great? Like this is right the the newest thing that Big Brother has, you know, mm-hmm. right. Um, They've got the um, they have the machine fabricated pornography
0: and uh books, which I thought was very interesting. Now we certainly don't ha- did not have that in 1984, not even close. And I'm curious what Orwell's inspiration was that uh for that was. Yeah. However, we do have uh machine written and machine learned um music, uh, fi- music for example, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh. w- uh Winston. Uh. Even says in the in the film that one of the uh, proles is singing a machine-generated song, a computer-generated song, essentially. Uh, and she sings it like she, he's surprised that it sounds so good coming from her because it's written by a robot.
0: You ever heard Daddy's Car? No. All right. I'll put <laughs> a, a couple seconds of it on there.
1: Yeah, you're going to share it to well, me right now?
0: Daddy's Car is a song that was composed by AI, and it's uh, pretty catchy.
1: I will have to give it a listen.
0: Yeah. Uh, as for machine written fiction, I've seen quite a bit of those, but they're usually they're played off for comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, um, you know the fact that he was predicting that, uh, I think goes to show his assumptions about technology would be used purely for a uh, an entertainment purpose. And I gotta say. I think he was more right on that than uh, than we want to give him credit for, right? Yeah. Like, think of how much uh, energy has been spent in technology the past, let's say, 15 years, purely on nonproductive things.
1: Right. Yeah. So, there's you have the whole side of, like, uh, the technology being used for, like, purposes of war, uh, purposes of control. But then – but I mean, I, I say purposes of control, but it's also, like, the media Ooh. that they have is also – a form of control uh, so they have uh, a pornography department so people aren't having sex uh they wa- they want to completely eliminate sex and um only have birth via artificial insemination
0: absolutely yeah uh last piece of tech because there wasn't that much was the helicopter the helicopter did not uh see a lot of usage in world war 2 although it did exist yeah uh the helicopter i believe dates to the late 30s early 40s um i believe um but the the one that they have is uh is an eighties model I think mm-hmm. it's a Sikorsky something and uh, and yeah it's flying really really low, but I guess if the, if you want to spy inside people's uh places you got to take risks yeah you know? yep yeah that's what the party lo- that, that's where the party puts all the all the all the risk taking uh types they just put them in helicopters and have them buzz towers all day <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah um so it's it's one of those models that has like the lattice tail, you know what i'm saying like the mm-hmm. the the see-through the other, tail,
0: and uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all for tech. Uh, we'll we'll touch on this. Uh, I mean, we, we can touch on this now. The the whole point of all the tech they show is to show that uh, it's it's all being used purely for control purposes, and that right, uh, yeah. So even uh, the down to like, all what they wasted wear. It intentionally. It's, you know,
1: all the inner party members wear uh, jumpsuits. All the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, all the outer party members wear jumpsuit suits. All of the inner party members wear like black clothes. And the only people that have like really any sort of like freedom of expression are the proles.
0: So the whole point of the system is to keep the rich rich and the poor poor, and to
1: just get power, right? Right.
0: The rich don't seem to have that much shit. They look kind of garbage.
1: Right. So they have they have wine. As mentioned, that the the inner party can have wine. They can have coffee. They can have uh, real coffee, real sugar, real tea, stuff like that. Um, so the inner party, um, even the middle class, has. Uh, basically poor facsimiles of uh yeah. everything the inner party can get. I, I well brief aside. Uh there's no way that
0: this is sustain- sustainable, right? Like I know that part of it is is talking about how the proles are going to be subservient forever, but like look at how shitty the inner party lives. There's got to be at least some some guy who's got like a cult of personality feeling going on right. and he's going to eventually say I want to have more than other people and and he's going to create do some coup or something and uh and, like, shit's going to fall down because they're going to be a Basiliscus or, uh, well, he was, like, a famous... Um, he was a famous uh, uh, Eastern Roman general right. who intentionally bungled invasions to so that he could become emperor and blame it on the emperor. They're, they're Like, that's just something I kept on thinking is they keep on talking about how this is infinitely sustainable. But there's... I think they're good that... Uh, within the world of 1984, humanity will be saved because people are fucking awful.
1: Yeah. So, um... Winston specifically says that they have no chance but the proles do have a chance to to rise up. Um and like O'Brien taunts him saying that'll never happen right. but
0: I mean if those proles miss one meal, I mean you think that all the porn's going to keep them keep, him, keep him satisfied?
1: Yeah. So that that I mean really is when you you can see in real life whenever the cost of bread goes up that's when revolutions happen, right? So uh yeah, I, I mean even in a totalitarian society, like let's take uh,
0: you know, the ultra-conservative ultra, con- the ultra conservative government in Venezuela right now. I mean, uh, you've got rioting in the streets. There's no way that, uh, even if you hypnotize, let's say, 80% of the population, uh, that things are going to be fine forever. If you can just, if, you, if you're assuming that, like what I'm saying is people are so selfish. I cannot imagine that the inner party will always be fine with, yeah, we'll live like <laughs> Low, lower middle class people in the in the real life 1940s. Do you that'll mean, be enough do you, for us.
1: Do you mean the outer party or the inner party?
0: No, I mean, like, the, the inner party... Well, the inner party live pretty... I guess, watching the scene where he visits O'Brien's house, the inner party lives so poorly compared to how they could be living.
1: Okay, okay. I I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. Um,
0: This is just headcanon. I'm sorry. No, no,
1: no, you're fine. Because... Uh, in the book, um, it's it's even bleaker than the movie. So, um if if you don't mind me just indulging this yeah. one. Um in the in the book, um, you know, again, just like the movie, about half of it is like um uh Winston being brainwashed and stuff. And eventually he comes to accept Big Brother. Um at the very end. Um he accepts he's accepted Big Brother and then right right at the very end of the book he has one like uh subversive thought um, and he gets shot in the back of the head.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I, I remember this now. I don't know. It, I think it's just interesting to, to 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 look at the way that he is, uh, has sort of, simpl- the writer has a sim- simplified the revolution into, yeah. from his animal farm thing of revolution because of cause into uh, keep power yeah. uh, under ideology. And he sort of argues that eventually the simplification will happen, that it'll, it'll just be revolution because of power and uh i don't know i don't know reading through that makes me uh you know always makes me think to real life revolutions where the assumption is that people will work together at the top to fix it but in this the assumption is that people will work at the top to keep things the way they are right and like no no way no way o- o'brien might be a party stooge but there's going to be somebody who is even more shitty uh, a kim jong-il or kim jong-un style person who wants to replace the big brother face and he's gonna there's gonna be i don't know there, there will be violence mm yeah, a system like that that relies on everybody working together to stay rich is never going to work.
1: Yeah, I I, I think um, part of that is the brainwashing. So yeah. you, you brainwash anybody who has, has thinks differently from you. Um, that was always my thought when reading the book was that I hope there's a happy ending, and there never is. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> the things that he assumes about 1984 are that uh, the 80s will be dominated by an endless Cold War uh, that focuses attentions on the foreign to ignore the domestic.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And and although he passed away, uh, his imagination about uh, an eternal war uh, is reflected in the real-life Cold War.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think... And, uh, like, kind of like an expansion of government powers as well. Um, you see, um, 1984, that was Ronald Reagan. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and so, um, you know, this could be argued, uh, to no end of, you know, to the end of time, whether or not Reagan expanded or, you know, was like a small government sort of guy, but, uh. Well, just remember, he uh, Reagan Bush won forty nine out of fifty states. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually just learned that the other day. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I, I really think that's it's interesting to see like how you have like, cause I mean that's really all we have to go on, right? Is like the what they got right is basically like the political side of it. Um, and, sure. Um, I don't think that, and obviously this is me coming from like a like an American. Uh, Mm -hmm. from an American standpoint, but I don't think they got necessarily the uh, totalitarian regime 100% right. But I could, uh, you know, if you asked like somebody from North Korea, or if you asked somebody from, uh, well, I won't name any other countries, (laughs) but um, uh, yeah, they might have a different take on the uh, entire issue.
0: Sure. Certainly, I think that um, we see a movement in other films, like for example, let's say RoboCop, a focus on the, uh, commercialization of the public space, the way that so many companies are being outsourced, and there's such a big focus on mass market advertising that's taking a new and aggressive turn under the uh, liberalization reforms in both uh, in both the East and the West in the 80s. And in America, uh, we see lots of cyberpunk um, fiction, oftentimes expressing the anxieties of. Uh, of unfettered capitalism and unfettered greed, that might not be wrong, but the feeling that uh people are going to be distracted by all this is very true i mean I think that we there 's lots of fiction that we 've covered even on this podcast that explores that
1: yeah um i think it's it 's kind of hard to say because um if you want to compare like uh cyberpunk to to what what did you did you what did you call this 1984. Speculative speculative fiction? Speculative fiction, yeah. To if you want to compare that to like uh um to other works that are like more technology based, um you're going to see um, stuff that touches more on economy, um, which 1984 does a little bit, but it's not really. Um so if you like sure. if you want to like uh talk about like how in other works, they're kind of living like almost like a post-labor economy because sure. robots do everything for you, like slave robots and stuff like that.
0: Sure, yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting argument. Now, on this podcast, we generally don't don't go too far past the date that it's set. So, obviously. Um, arguments and discussions about uh, real-life surveillance programs, for example the NSA's large-scale phone tapping. All that's interesting, and I think there's a very cool comparison to be made, but uh, even if he had said it, say, 20 years later in, uh, in 2004, uh, I'm not entirely sure if his guesses would be accurate but uh there's a reason people are always publishing articles like are we living in 1984 you know those anxieties never went away and uh if nothing else those anxiety the anxieties over it have only uh increased since the since the 40s
1: yeah i think we talked about earlier about how uh people who want to criticize uh politicians uh for maybe having a a policy disagreement that um they accuse them of uh Double speak and stuff like that. Totally. Um, it's it's and especially now with I don't, I don't know how political do you want to get? <laughs> like uh, no no I mean I mean I mean well,
0: well you're you're only a guest say whatever you want. Um, uh, uh, but yeah I other uh, stuff that they got right. I feel like we've kind of we've kind of hit all the major points about it in that they didn't get it right in the 80s, but the anxieties have continued and and perhaps intensified. Yeah. Do you want to maybe say something profound to finish up the what they got right section?
1: Um, you, you know, there's. I think there's always going to be no matter it, uh, if you um participate in a government, you're always going to have uh people who think that the government is going too far, that the government is uh too robust. You know, the bureaucracy is expanding to meet the needs of the expanding bureaucracy, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, I I think we're always going to have sort of like that big, uh, you know, big government, big brother sort of comparison. Um so I don't think that's ever going to go away um as mm-hmm. as long as we have government.
0: Sure. Yeah, um overall I think that the the they get more uh wrong than right, but certainly the the message of the book is even more relevant today.
1: Most uh, yeah, I think most dystopian uh novels do, but uh
0: <laughs> Yeah. So when it comes to historical context, uh, I'm just looking at some, some reviews here. I got a lot of uh, positive reviews of the piece, and especially touching on things we agreed on, which is the acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York Times, the London Times, both of them really praise the, 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 rep- the presentations and the roles. I think they're real top-notch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 80s were a time, assumptions about what the role of government were- was were-, were different from now. Shit, that doesn't mean that, that's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> okay.
1: No, I th- I, I, uh, I think it made sense.
0: Okay. How about you just say something then?
1: Okay. So um, I, I think this uh piece of work is very interesting because uh you really have you have two different time periods that we're talking about here when the movie was made nineteen eighty four and when the book was made nineteen forty nine. So yeah, how about you touch on those two and also like how that affected the the
0: any differences between the book and the film?
1: Right. So um. 1949, uh, post-World War II, uh, London specifically, you had um, periods of uh, intense rationing, intense, intense rationing, um, to the point where uh, people weren't getting, um, you know, enough, uh, all the food they needed. Uh, that kind of parallels with how, you know, this big government that's, like, oppressive, but, like, oppressive in a way that's there to, like, help people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 1984, uh, that's, uh, obviously, uh, near the end of the Cold War. Cold War ends around 89, 90, um, late 89, basically. Um, so you have, um, a much more, uh, stark picture where you see, where you can compare, um, you know, uh, USSR, uh, or, um, Eastern Germany, to uh the the work itself,
0: sure, I think that makes a lot of sense it there's a there's a direct one to one comparison that can be made at that point uh also the the novel was always much more cautionary in its intentions than being prophetic mm-hmm. uh, it certainly wasn't trying to predict things in nineteen eighty four even though that's the whole point of our stupid podcast. <laughs> 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 and i feel that uh the film made in 1984 is much more uh relies much more heavily on that and it works i think it works better in a way uh by setting it in an alternate time period works better than trying to make it a a predictive piece
1: yeah i mean yeah i i agree Ob- obviously 1984 is set in 1984 so that's the whole reason <laughs> they did it right um i i think uh, it'd be interesting if this film was called 2019, and then we were making a
0: make, <laughs> yeah, Blade making Runner this style.
1: yeah, making this film today. But um,
0: it, yeah, it's not it's not science fiction, and his 1984 isn't isn't uh, it's not a time, but it's a vision of the future projected mm-hmm. from 1949, right? Yeah. So the fact that the movie comes out and is famously bragging about, oh, we shot this, we shot this scene on the same day that it takes place in the novel. I mean I, I don't think right. that does any it doesn't really does it any favors because yeah. it's never about the time, the date yeah. it's always about uh, the feel yeah. the feel of the Soviet Union taking over Hungary and Czechoslovakia right. the feel of rationing in Britain as you say so yeah. uh, this is one of the rare times I think that the date of which a piece of fiction is set because we specifically did look at the movie is a, is almost irrelevant
1: yeah if if this movie let's say theoretically this movie was called Big Brother and it never mm-hmm. menchi- and it never mentioned a specific point in time uh, sure. Then obviously it, we wouldn't be talking about it because it kind of goes against the, the thought of uh, right, this podcast. But, I, guess, but. I,
0: I I think that that's both more and less powerful. It's more powerful because it's it makes more sense for us here in twenty nineteen. Yeah. But it's less powerful because it was supposed to be such a cautionary tale, saying this this is a plausible thing,
1: a plausible a plausible near future. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree. Um. I guess other last-minute stuff is that uh, the, the context was all very eighties. So I, I, I was almost hoping we'd see a little more of that forties feel. Uh, I mean, we get that with the military stuff, but uh, the production design is all fucking just just hilariously eighties. Like it's only big blocky buildings yeah, from the eighties.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a giant Pepsi ad. <laughs>
0: yeah, all it's missing is a bunch of cyberpunk. Uh, glowing ads and I feel like this could be set in the same universe as Blade Runner.
1: yeah or um, they live. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, okay uh, last minute stuff is uh... Okay so now um, so now uh, we're gonna do the last segment, which is uh, the drunk Shimoda. Now this is same shamelessly stolen. From uh, from a podcast called "The Greatest Generation," right? Okay. And in it, you want I want to hear uh, the character, or actor, or element of the movie that you thought was just having the most fun with the production of the role, in character or out. So uh, mine's at about one one hour three minutes, and that's the 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 big meeting between O'Brien and uh, and Winston Smith,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, John Hurt's looking pretty good, especially compared to before and later in the film. And uh, O'Brien gives him this glass of wine, and he says, "Let's have a toast." And he he genuinely doesn't know what to do with it, so he's like, "Ah, sure," and he just chugs it. Yeah,
1: he's used to he's used to drinking the uh, the victory gin. So
0: yeah, and, and I thought that was uh, a moment of 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 uh, lightness that I really enjoyed compared to the rest of the film. I thought it was just great. That makes sense. Like yeah. Winston Smith just saying, "Ah, you know, you're probably supposed to chug this, right? It's
1: probably good." <laughs> i never thought about that.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, what about you? Um, I would, you know, um, as an actor, John Hart working next to Susanna Hamilton, just a comp- like stunning actress. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I gotta imagine he was feeling pretty good for that. So that's mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just him all of a sudden realizing that he, that because he's an attractive older man, he can, he he can in, in universe be with any woman, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, I mean, he was older than he was when he made Alien, and I could totally still see Alien having giving him like a much younger sidekick for sure. Uh, all right, so uh, last stuff then. Um, do you do you recommend this movie uh, over other fo- other other things to watch?
1: Yes, uh, amazing, amazing uh, aesthetics, amazing. Sure, act, yeah, amazing production acting. design is
0: top tier. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, the acting is just so good. Um. In terms of it, uh, the book—I mean, I mean—obviously, I think everyone says this about every piece of uh, media that's based <laughs> off a book. The book is better, um, just because it goes into a little bit more detail about certain things. Like, sure, yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like maybe I would have been lost had I not read the book beforehand.
0: Yeah, I got to agree. This uh, this is a very good film, and it's a very good story, and I think that it's a. It's always great to see dystopian fiction like this put onto the big screen, seeing how they realize it. All the big public execution scenes, all the two minutes hate are all profoundly disturbing. Yeah. Much more so than in the book. But you know, it's just it's just really hard to watch. It's um uh, it's there are better art house movies to watch, I think, and if you want to read something or listen to the audiobook, I feel like you'll get more out of it than you will watching this movie.
1: Yeah, but it's definitely not something that you want to sleep on, I think.
0: Certainly not, so uh yeah, I mean if you if you already liked 1984 and are into dystopian fiction and you want to see this movie, I think it's it's worth your time, but it's pretty hard to watch and I I genuinely recommend the book or audiobook version uh before this one. For sure. Okay, uh so I I guess that's pretty much it, John. It was a real pleasure having you on.
1: Uh thank you. Uh I have always been here, so I don't know what you're talking about, but uh Oh,
0: oh <laughs> well, well, you've been um Anybody who can go, who goes back will notice that your name's in the credits of all those but you were just quiet.
1: Yeah. I didn't have anything to say until now.
0: Yeah, uh and uh you've always been my only host so it's been a pleasure <laughs> uh <laughs> pleasure to finally have you speak up.
1: <laughs> it was just silence until then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was me saying, "Hey, uh so what'd you think about uh about uh the old gray hair?" And then 10 seconds of pause and me laughing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right you are.
0: For uh for, the, for World of Tomorrow, the podcast about teachers past. Uh, thank you for listening. I've been Jeremy. I'm John. Uh, thanks for watching
1: today, and we'll see you tomorrow.